Today is the 16th of September, 2014, and this is episode 145. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is new, highly experimental, and we're not experts, just obsessed companions walking the road towards a more peer-to-peer future. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and today, let's push things forward. Stephanie recently caught up with Julia, the mind behind Brave the World. They talk liberty, its sometimes required declarations, and more. But first, I sat down with Alex of BitcoinComic.com to talk about their forthcoming graphic novel, The Legend of Satoshi Nakamoto, the swarm-enabled, counterparty-based coin that powers it, and what it all means. Enjoy the show. Today on Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're joined by Alex of BitcoinComic.org and one of the creators behind the upcoming graphic novel, The Hunt for Satoshi Nakamoto. Alex, thanks for joining us today. Hey, Adam. Nice to meet you. The Hunt for Satoshi Nakamoto. Culture in cryptocurrency is one of those things where because, you know, we're, we're on the internet, really, you see more of like repurposed memes than you do really material that's specifically about the, the cryptocurrency ecosystem. And I'm wondering, how did this project come about? Was your background in art or was it in, in uh, Bitcoin or, or both? Or, you know, how did this happen? My background is my own business and, and, and money. I've been studying money for a long time, since 2006. I've been thinking for a long time that I wanted to do a graphic novel about, about money. The thing with money is, is that most people perceive money as something really, really boring. And money really didn't become really interesting and cool um, for, for the mainstream until we had Bitcoin. Once I get started getting into Bitcoin and I had a couple of friends that were really into Bitcoin and that really told me, hey, you really need to get into this. This is really interesting started reading more and I was like, wow, this is exactly what I, want, what I wanted to talk about. And as things evolved over time, we had all the different um, and all the right elements. I was like, look, I, I'm going to do a comic book about money because I'm a, one of the things we need to do to create a better society in, in the world for all countries is to raise more awareness about what money is, how money works, and how it influences our life. And I cannot see any better tool and method than Bitcoin because for me, Bitcoin is money, but it has all the right elements to make it interesting for the mainstream. And that's why we decided to do the graphic novel about, about, about Bitcoin as an education tool about what money is. What type of world are you portraying with this? Are you portraying the world as you see it now? Or is this something that's a slightly oh, okay, fictionalized so, version so that it can you know, be a little bit more exciting than maybe the everyday? Our role model really was like Matrix the movie, because one of the great things that Matrix the movie achieved is like you have a whole action story, which is attractive and interesting to everyone. But there's uh, many different aspects that, that are included in the movie that, uh, that, that have messages that are relevant about how the world operates on a philosophical level. And we try to do something similar, but in, in the present time. Uh, so the, 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 the present time in, in, in the comic book is 2013, and where we combine different characters that, uh, that during the plot, they explain basically what, what, what uh, Bitcoin is. So we See, they have the main character. His name is Bob, and and, and Bob, um, as you know, is, is a name that is u- usually used as a placeholder in in, in cryptography. And uh, and then we have the the the, the mob chasing Bob because um, one of the guys, um, he's the son of one of the important uh, mafia bosses in the city, 
he wants to be noted by his dad and and uh, he thinks that if he steals the bitcoin fortune from satoshi nakamoto that he will be able to to shine and through the whole story there's also like some there's some freelance agents from the nsa that follow the storyline and through all these interactions of these different groups we basically explain many different things. We basically explain how Bitcoin works, what is a public address, what is a private address, why Bitcoin does exist, why it's important, and, and what, um, if, um, how fiat money operates, and, and also the different perspectives about some people that think that with Bitcoin it's completely anonymous and that that's really great, and some people then, then say, no, that's not the way it is, because some people think like that. So all different kind of point views, but I mean, our main, main goal really with, through that storyline is then to transmit those different viewpoints. So when you finish reading the book after 60 minutes, 90 minutes, you really have a very good general sense of what happened in the last five years, these in the headlines and the general themes and why they're important. So this is more of an educational tool, really, for bringing people who are kind of outside of it and who've maybe looked at it. And again, it's, it's that getting back to what you said at the beginning, it's the money, the perception is that it's boring unless you have a bunch of it, and then it's more interesting. So what you're trying to do with this book is make it so that kind of all of that stuff that normally you'd have to crawl through forums and do all, you know, learn hard things and instead make the experience basically the same as reading a comic book. Yeah, absolutely. And I think especially, I mean, what we're trying to do, the reason why we're doing it through a comic book is because comic books or images or paintings have have an incredible power because you can just look at an image and say, oh, I understand many, many different things because they transmit emotions, they transmit ideas, they transmit attitudes. And that's really difficult to transmit in, in a book, I don't know, a 100-book page or 200-book page. But through comic book, you can package the power of words and the power of images, and through that, really speed up the, 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 the learning process of, of what it means. We don't explain it to the world like that. I mean, I can explain it to Bitcoiner because he understands Bitcoin and he understands what we, what we try to achieve and what is um, as a community. But when we talk in general to the general public, we we won't present it like that. We will just present it as an amazing adventure story where we explain this amazing thing, which is Bitcoin, that fluctuated a lot in price and uh, where you had all kinds of different things, a lot of adventure. And in between, we will bring up all the fundamental stuff, which is technology or the blockchain technology is revolutionary. And we believe it, I think we all believe it will change the way we live our lives in the next five to 10 years. And um, how we also need to understand how money works and how Bitcoin allows you to be your own central bank. You, you basically manage your money and you don't need to rely on anyone else to, to do that. So there's plenty of amazing stuff that, that this technology is allowing us. And fundamentally also the issue with Bitcoin is, is that uh, at least when I talk to many Bitcoiners and I guess you had the same experiences that trying to explain it to someone is very, very complex because you need to explain many, many different things and you need to understand many different subjects. It brings together two of the worst things that people usually have a hard time to understand, which is finance and technology. And then you combine it and you call it Bitcoin. So I think through the comic book, Bitcoiners around the world, they will really have a tool to share the passion with their loved ones. They will basically be able to say, Hey, you know, my dad, my mom, my, my, my children, my friends, my loved ones, or if I'm a company, my customers, I can share this tool with you, uh, which is really fun to read, which is um, very exciting. And just by reading that, a lot of questions will come up in your mind and you will want to know more. And then you come back to me and I will share it with you. Our end game of, of, of what we're trying to achieve here is really to, to grow the community and raise awareness about, uh, about money because... Um, uh, there are many different subjects in the world that we really need to work at as world citizens. But I have made it my goal to try to do as much as I can on, on the subject of money. There are many other subjects I'm interested in, but I think 
if, if we if we all achieve together to to make progress in the subject of money that would be really great because i think we can really uh, improve a lot of things for the world so this project has been underway for a while you mentioned that the book itself is set in 2013 how long have you been underway on this project and can you tell us a little bit about the other members of the team involved Sure. Um, we started working on, 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 on the project in 2013. I met two years ago. I've been into comic books for a long time since, since, I, since I'm a child, but I started reading really more of them like five years ago. And two years ago, I went to, to, to the biggest um, comic show in Europe, which takes place in Angoulême, which is in France. And there I met a Spanish comic book producer. We just became friends. We, we met and we said, oh, look, it's not nice to talk. And then at some point I was like, oh, look, I always wanted to to do this thing. There's this thing called Bitcoin that I've been studying now for a while. We should really should do something. And he was like, I explained him the whole philosophical aspects of it. And he was like, yeah, this is really cool. Let's do it together. And he introduced me to, to Josep Busquet, which is a Spanish script writer. And, and Josep introduced Jose Angel Garcia Ares, who's a Spanish illustrator. And, and the three of us, we started working on, on the project, basically. And, and initially, we had like different avenues or ideas about how we could construct a story. But we ended up with this adventure story because we were like, look, if we really want to reach the mainstream, but at the same time, make it also interesting for Bitcoiners, um, let's go down through that path. And, and this is the three of us. And I've been mainly working on the, on the technical script um, and, and really making sure that, that we can encapsulate in an understandable but correct way what Bitcoin means. Giuseppe, he mainly worked on the storyline, like the adventure story, how should it build up, what is happening? And I did fill in all the different gaps. You know, it's interesting that this is early enough in the life cycle of Bitcoin that you're actually able to take this, you know, very much an independent production and call it the, the hunt for Satoshi Nakamoto because nobody's actually done that yet. So, you know, what, what are next steps as far as your project is concerned? Right now, our goal is to, to make this as popular as possible and get to really ho- the whole community of Bitcoin behind this. And as I said, I mean, like, we have like different stages right now. We are promoting this in, in, a, in a crowd sale campaign together with a swarm, which is a really cool um, um, Bitcoin 2.0 um, crowdfunding company. And, and we, are the, we are their first project. And, and, and with swarm, you can do loads of really interesting stuff. I mean, what we will do is like, we will have like a redeemable um, comic coin, which basically will allow you to, to redeem the, the comic book against it, which is nothing amazing but it's interesting to do that but the we will also issue comic coins with every person that will fund um the the comic book and they will get comic coins and through the comic coins uh, we will try to arrange a voting system where they would where they will be able to vote on the cover of the comic book on the title of the comic book and the third thing we're trying to arrange and we're still waiting for final confirmation but it seems that this will go ahead we will be able to share a small percentage of the net revenue of all the derivative um, intellectual property. That basically means if someone comes along and says, I want to do all the characters of the comic book and I pay you 50000 So then we could share some of that net revenue um, with all the people holding comic coins, for example. And so we're really experimenting that together with Swarm on, on, on those things. And I was really excited about that because when I met Swarm the first time, um, person to person was in London when I did a um, pre-presentation at Coin Summit, and and we really liked each other, and 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 they were really excited about the project, and they really understood understood what we we're trying to achieve. And since then, yeah, we're, we're, we've been working this, and we're the first project. And I think I really wanted to do it with the Bitcoin company, not not do just in brackets a standard Kickstarter campaign, because I think 
this is something really that we need to have to buy in from the Bitcoin community. And if we have to buy in from the Bitcoin community, then hopefully we will then afterwards, if you're successful, also get a buy-in from the general comic book reader population in the world, which is, I think is an interesting target to grow the community, but also to the general population, because hopefully this will become a tool that helps everyone to, 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 to learn in Bitcoin in a fun and, and easy way as an entry system to, to, to the Bitcoin world. Okay, so you said a lot of stuff there. Let's go through that a little bit and break it down. You said that your project is being enabled by Swarm, which previously they they have a main webpage at swarmcorp.com, but where I found your project was actually swarm.co. So yeah, as you mentioned, you're the first project up there. Let's talk about uh, what a normal user would actually do with one of these comic coins, right? So somebody, so so yeah. what is the price to uh, to support where I would get a comic book from this, where I'm essentially pre-ordering a comic book with Bitcoin? There are three general different levels. I mean, uh, the first basic level is you, you get a standard copy, that's how we call it, of the comic book for 0.05 bitcoins. Uh-huh. Um, and that will also give you some comic coins, which uh-huh. will allow you to participate in voting and, 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 and on the intellectual property side now of things. Now, let me ask about the comic then coins. Then that- With the comic coins, are these redeemable for a comic book? Or are they something that I would not redeem, that I would hold in order to do what you're saying? Or is it both? I can choose to redeem it for a comic book or I can hold it speculating like you're suggesting. There are two things to it. I mean, actually, we're issuing um, three different kind of coins depending on, on, on what you decide to fund. One is um, the, um, which is a coin called Comic Book, which is basically just a redeemable coin. So as soon you, you get it now because you're participating in the pre-sale. And um, then when once the comic book becomes available in, in, in November, then you just redeem it. You tell us, okay, I want to receive it at this address, um, and, and we send it to you. And But together with this funding of, of the purchase of the comic book coin, you re- also receive a certain number of, of, of comic coins. And those comic coins, you hold them. You hold them in your counter wallet, which is at counterwallet.co. You can arrange your counter wallet, and there you, and there you hold then your comic coins. And once you fund it with bitcoins, you, you get... Um, comic coins in exchange there. Okay, so there are three types of coins here. There is comic book, which is redeemable for one comic book. And does that include shipping? Is that specific to an area of the world or is it global? It includes shipping, but the main target is really in the, the American market and the European market. But if we get some fancy orders from countries that we didn't expect, we will try to accomplish that too. Unless it, I, mean, I had one order from, from a friend the other day in Bolivia. So he said, look, I mean, Bolivia, really unreliable post system. So he did send me the bitcoins. He said, look, please arrange this for me. Once it's ready, I'll send you a DHL number so you can send it to me because you cannot send it via normal post. Hmm. So th- that's like an extreme case. Okay, so but, but under normal uh, circumstances, your intention with this is so long as it's not wildly, you know, unsuccessful for you, you're going uh, you, to, th- yeah. the token includes shipping. Okay. So, okay, so, exactly, so you've got the exactly. comic book coin that is one delivered copy of the, of the comic book. You've got comic coin, which is like a, like you said, it's like a voting token, and then it also is going to potentially give some sort of intellectual property dividend? Yes. Okay. That's what we're aiming for. Okay. And then, um, comic special is the special edition version of comic book, which is, so this is the hardbound, but it's also redeemable and also includes shipping. Is that right? Exactly. Okay, so this is really interesting. I really, really have been waiting for some of these redeemable tokens to come out. It'll essentially let people who aren't necessarily interested in having lots of copies of the comic book, but who either, you know, are, have educational initiatives going on, because like you said, you know, this is intended as an educational thing, or are just looking to profit themselves. Um, what about someone who would be interested in 
buying like a hundred uh, comic book tokens. Are you building in any sort of like uh, reseller um, level for this? We have created like a, a, a bot system, purchasing system, like for companies. So if a company, a Bitcoin company, comes around and says, "I really want to share this with my employees and my and my customers," so that we can give them um, a, a special pricing for that. If they say, "I want to buy fifty copies." 100 copies, whatever they decide. See, that's really, really interesting to me because, again, you know, we run Let's Talk Bitcoin here. And so the uh, the opportunity then to be able to buy a token like you're talking about, where we don't actually ever have to take possession of any physical inventory, don't have to worry about any shipping whatsoever. We just have to say, okay, is it worth it to us based on the discount that you're giving us to buy 100 copies of this and then market it through display advertisements on our website to people who have both LTB coin and Bitcoin? This is a really, really advanced campaign compared to a lot of the ones that I've seen. Um, why did you decide to go this way? You know, I mean, is, are there, is there any process that went in here or was it just you got together with the Swarm guys and was like, that's the natural thing that we should do? It was really the second thing. Uh, we got together with the Swarm guys. I think the Swarm guys, they really have an amazing concept there. That they're trying to build out. I've been really busy the last 12 months and just building the comic book. But once I did get together with the Swarm guys, they really like were like, look, you can do all these different things. I was like, wow, this is really cool. And uh, But my main idea was just basically to, to do this for the Bitcoin community, and that's why I wanted to do it with Swarm. How has your experience been working with Swarm, just generally speaking? Because you are the first project to roll out, and you know, looking at the page, it's pretty user-friendly. That's kind of a, a hard problem, as we like to say. Um, <laughs> and crypto is actually <laughs> turning these into things that people can understand and use fairly easily. One of the things that I noticed is that you're offering discounts to people who have Swarm, but not actually accepting Swarm. You know, how, was that a process that you were involved with at all, or was that just all on the Swarm guys? It, it was really on the Swarm guys. I mean, what we, what we did like was like the first pre-sale campaign for the Swarm community, but um, I think it's also like the whole Swarm community or the people that participated in the Swarm funding in June, July, they're also like still part of this learning process about saying, okay, how can we build this? How, how, what are all the cool things we can do here? And we still, I think, Swarm and myself, we're both learning as we go on, on many things. As more campaigns will come in, and there will be even more interesting things that um, Swarm will be able to do. But I think for both of us, for Swarm and for the Bitcoin comic, this is really something really exciting because, I mean, for us, it was really about working with the community and working with the Swarm guys has been really easy. They, they work very, very hard, and, and they really try to do the best. I think they're never happy. They always want more, but um, they, are, they, 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 really, they really will get there, I think. Well, fantastic, Alex. This sounds like a really great project, and we look forward to hearing more from you. Are there any areas that we haven't hit that we should before we end? I think it's interesting to mention that uh, the comic will, will be published in English, and that's part of the whole campaign. It will be published in Spanish. We also get it published in Polish. And um, anyone listening to this, or if you know anyone who's interested in, in, in supporting us and finding publishers around the world, and please get in touch with me because it's really cheap. Once the product is done, it's really cheap to translate and, and arrange everything. And um, we would really like to achieve to get this published in as many languages as possible, to reach out to, to as many people as possible also. So the, the Polish edition was just because I met um, a really friendly Polish guy in, in London. I told him, look, we're looking for publishers. If you know anyone, he said, look, let me look into it. Um, I'll, I'll get back to you. And, and a month later, he came back and said, I have a publisher for you. Please arrange everything. And yeah, and now we confirmed this week and we have it in Polish too. So I hope we will get as many languages as possible. Are there any other types of help that you're looking for at this point? Or if people, I mean, like, is there anything, if someone wants to get involved with what you're doing, are there ways that people can help further? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, right now, I mean, we have one volunteer 
working with us, uh, Manjal Shah. He's working at the Swarm office. He's we, he's running our um, corporate campaign, so he's contacting Bitcoin companies um, to get in um, to, to to support a comic book, to buy copies, or to get involved in any other way they they may like to. Also, like any Bitcoin media or any contacts with publishers or media, we really try to 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 make uh, as much noise as possible about this, and we also hope that the Bitcoin comic will also contribute in a positive way about how Bitcoin is perceived in the overall population because I think um, uh, graphic novels are perceived as something um, positive and cool and, um, and, 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 that, yeah, and we hope that we'll achieve it. We actually, Joel from Form presented to Zappo last week and they really liked it a lot. I wasn't there, but he presented it um, at them during lunch and they really liked it a lot. We also have received a donation today of 0.5 Bitcoins from the CEO of Bitstamp and i don't know so there's really cool stuff happening and people really really like it i think and and so yeah anyone who wants to get involved you can contact me at or she can contact me at tello at bitcoincomic.org and uh, we will find something so the hunt for satoshi nakamoto comes out in november and the crowdfunding campaign ends the end of september uh, 14th of October, yeah. The 14th of October. Okay, great. So anybody who wants to... Is there a direct URL for that? Is it just swarm.co these days? Swarm.co slash Comic-Con. And, and then you're at the campaign. There are two videos on the top. You have an explanation video for myself um, t- um, explaining what we are doing. There's also the trailer video. You also have a list of all the different rewards. Well, I didn't mention, but that might be interesting. We also have like a Chimera appearance um, in the comic book. So if you're really interested, you could be- become of the storyline by having yourself appearing in the comic book and that's, everything is there on that website. Bitcoin, very early user, uh, very influential user, Hal Finney recently passed away. And uh, you had mentioned to me that there's there's a tribute in here. Can you talk about that? I mean, we are heading to the Hal Finney already um, like five months ago when we were creating this story. And we, we were quite inspired by the book from Stephen Levi, Crypto. And in that book, um, Stephen Levi mentions a, a message that Hal Finney did in Crypto at a time in the 90s and where he would be willing to pay like a hundred dollars if, if anyone would achieve to decrypt the message. So the, the decrypted message is part of the comic book. There's a certain scene where the message appears and how he's also part of Appendix, where he appears with other 100 Bitcoiners from around the world, where you, Adam, you're also included. We have decided also, since he passed away recently, we also decided to dedicate the comic book to, to him because he was a really important figure to the development of PGP, but also to Bitcoin together with Satoshi Nakamoto in the early days. Okay, terrific. Well, thanks very much for your time. We look forward to your continued progress in the space. This episode is brought to you by CryptoKit.com. We'll be starting full sponsorships again soon, so stay tuned. Today's magic word is BRAVE. B-R-A-V-E. BRAVE. You've got until the 20th of September to visit Let'sTalkBitcoin.com and enter the magic word for your share of the listener rewards. Back to the show. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin. This is Stephanie here, and I'm talking with... A goddess of liberty, Julia Toriansky. 
Hi, Julia. What an introduction. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's all true, I assure you, because I know Julia personally, and she's really awesome. She's a very productive lady. She's got a popular YouTube channel and goes around promoting lots of ideas related to freedom and liberty, but also recently has taken on a project to, what do you call it, Julia, maybe bring Bitcoin back to its roots a little bit more, remind people of what Bitcoin actually was intended to be. Yeah, get back to the ethos of Bitcoin and um, its libertarian anarchistic roots and liberating roots if you want to be, if you don't want to label it. And I think we've strayed away from it. And I mean, with the bit license and all this headbutting within the community, people trying to keep Bitcoin neutral, which is a farce, in my opinion. Yeah, Mm. so the project is called Declare Bitcoin's Independence or the Declaration of Bitcoin's Independence. Cool. Well, we're going to talk about that. But first of all, just for people who aren't familiar with your work, you've got a YouTube channel. I think maybe that's the media that you're best known for. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Yeah, I do a lot of anarchist related videos, anything that I find to be a worthwhile issue or cause. Recently, I've been promoting Ross Ulbricht's case and the Silk Road. I do a bit of interviewing and I do my own original content in relation to anarchism, libertarianism, and I've been delving into Bitcoin quite heavily lately. And the channel is Brave the World channel on YouTube. Yeah, people may know you from your basic Bitcoin bitches video. (laughs) Yeah, I think that one made the rounds in Bitcoin circles for sure. How did you first find out about Bitcoin? Uh, Silk Road. (laughs) Uh huh. How did you uh, become an anarchist or find out about liberty? Well, I became an anarchist through the process of elimination, I guess. Nothing Nothing else made sense. I was a libertarian first, naturally. But I ended where most people with the take on this thought process end up, which is anarchy. Right. Yeah, I'd like to think everyone's born an anarchist, but then they kind of get away from it through school and, you know, living in culture and stuff like that. So cool. Okay, Brave the World channel on YouTube. And tell me about your recent project, the Bitcoin Declaration of Independence. It started out as an article. Is that right? Yeah, it actually, there's a really great blockchain to this (laughs) 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 and the blocks are people and they all link it together in this beautiful series of events or maybe trigger points that woke me up to what bitcoin really is because people know bitcoin and people understand bitcoin but i think most people really understand it on just a technical level or just a surface level or just an investment opportunity level they don't really get it And I was a basic Bitcoin bitch too. So, you know, no judgment. But this was my uh, path to revelation. And what happened was I went to the uh, Bitcoin conference in Toronto. And I know Cody Wilson. So we were hanging out and he introduced me to Amir Taki. And Amir actually won the hackathon there. So that was really dope. And he and I just clicked immediately. And I mean, I'm not surprised because I get along with Cody. He gets along with Amir. And then I just really got along with Amir. And he ended up asking me to go to New York. And also... I, ju- I actually skipped one of the chains. I watched uh, I watched Andreas's talk, Andreas Antonopoulos's talk at the conference, and I just ran in randomly. I was gonna leave early actually, and I ran in and I watched him speak, and everything he said just excited me and hit the nail on the head, and I was so inspired, and I couldn't understand why. 
So that kind of started it. Then I went to New York with Amir to visit Charlie Shrem. When we hung out with Charlie... And I just listened. I just listened to them talk. And little things they said, very specific little things they said about, you know, the origins of Satoshi and the way that he released certain things and the certain things that Satoshi said. And things I just never knew about. And also their own journey uh, within the Bitcoin realm. And like, this idea started to come out. And I didn't know what to do with it. And then my friend from CryptoBiz Magazine, Nathan uh, Wozniak, emailed me and he says, oh, can you do an article for us? I know you've been hanging with Amir and Shrem. And they wanted an expose or something. They wanted you to spill the gossip. <laughs> right. And instead, I wrote the basic Bitcoin bitches script. It just poured out of me. And I put that out and it got you know mixed reviews because people perceived it to be aggressive. But I, I was kind of making fun of myself in the video, which people don't realize. So after that, I wanted to do something more serious and I wrote the declaration because I thought, like I said earlier, there's this turmoil within the community of people who basically want Bitcoin to just be a neutral technology and people who realize that Bitcoin has the potential for a humanitarian political cause, which inherently is revolution or evolution. So... I tend to side with those people because everything is political and to claim otherwise is incredibly naive. Mm, yeah. So tell me about the Bitcoin Declaration of Independence video. Oh, God, <laughs> that was such an adventure. And it just it kind of came together by itself because I wrote the article and it got a really good response. And I mean, all the people that I respected both liked my basic bitches video and they liked the declaration. So not to pander to authority figures, but when you respect somebody and somebody inspired you and they give you good feedback about your work, you're like, yes, I'm on the right track. And what I believe is shared amongst people that I respect. That's amazing. I didn't want to do a talking head video of me declaring Bitcoin's independence. Who am I? You know, <laughs> like I, I don't give myself that much credit. So I thought I was hanging with my friend Victoria Van Eyck and she does she does writing for Bitcoin magazine and she's a Bitcoin evangelist as well and I'm like oh why don't well, you read a line from this let's 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 see so she read a line from it and I'm like yeah that's what I'm going to do so I was going to go on this big trip because I was going to do Bilderberg in Copenhagen so I I went there and after that I went and saw Amir in uh, Barcelona, and I filmed him reading lines from it. And it was just, it looked so good. Not like good, but uh, soulful and sincere. And I felt I was on the right track with something there. And I mean, I guess that was the seeding factor for me when he did his lines. So then anybody that I felt was on my page about Bitcoin, I reached out to. And it, it really started to come together when I went to Porkfest at the end of my trip because I met, you know, a really a big a portion of the Bitcoin community, including you, Stephanie. And I got all these amazing people that I wasn't even exposed to to be in this thing. And I didn't have to even try very hard because. Some of them have read my declaration and some of them read it on the spot and liked it. And even Patrick Byrne was there. And, you know, people ambush him a lot. But then as soon as I read him a line from the declaration, 
he was like, yes, who are you? I'd love to be part of this. And that really, you know, struck a chord with me because that's just work speaking for itself. And it's not about me and it's not about them. It's about the essence of the message of the declaration. And I really hope people get it. And I really hope people don't misinterpret it as being preachy or, you know, up on a high horse or I don't know. I mean, I should stop basing things on Reddit comments, but <laughs> just I want to make it clear, like, I understand that Bitcoin isn't perfect and it's not anonymous and this and that, but this is like declaring its potential. And it's not just Bitcoin. It's, mo it's more about the idea of Bitcoin and the blockchain technology and other cryptocurrency. Yeah, I have to say, I saw a rough cut of the video um, and it was incredibly authentic. You know, there were just a lot of people who maybe have been there since the beginning in Bitcoin or maybe have come along a little bit later, but they clearly care about the direction of Bitcoin and where it's going, and they care about freedom and making those two things um, align with each other and keeping the integrity of Bitcoin's core values. That was what was so wonderful about this project, to see that people actually care, that they actually really deeply care about this. And this is how I divide the community, okay? Bitcoin and the blockchain technology is a forest. And you're either standing on a hill looking at the forest, and it's the taiga forest, it's the biggest forest, and you, and you can't see the end of it, and you can't see the beginning of it, and it's so vast, and you can't comprehend it, and you don't really get it, and you don't know what to do. You don't know whether to walk away or to go into the forest. And then there's the other people who are in the forest, and all they can see is trees and they can't get out they're way too deep in they, there's no going back but they also don't know what to do and they also don't know what direction to go and they don't know where the forest leads so that's how i describe the community right now it's totally half and half the people mm. outside the forest and the people right in there and i'm really lost <laughs> <laughs> so what do you think about just maybe recent events that have happened within the bitcoin world tell me more about your involvement with ross's case if you have any or tell me about your thoughts on this bit license thing that everybody's talking about well shout out to ross and i hope he's doing okay and i look forward to the trial because i look forward to a good outcome and there's not much more i can say about that I, i've just been trying to promote a positive public image for him because it ha his image has been smeared and the things that they're trying to charge him with are ludicrous and they are a symbol of what's come in the future of, regarding not only Bitcoin, but the regulation of the Internet. So it's about yeah. all freedom. It's about being taxed for all exchanges of medium online and offline. It's about privacy well, the lack of. <laughs> it's about general freedom, really, because that is how we live and interact now. Everything is online and they're trying to control everything that we do online. And it's ludicrous. And now if you're participating in systems like Tor or Bitcoin, we haven't reached this yet, but if he loses the case, you're going to be perceived as a criminal by default. Yeah. That's that's the risk here. Yeah, the presumption of guilt before innocence is really a huge thing. 
And I think a lot of people who have been in Bitcoin for a while have already sort of experienced that. I don't know if, if you've tried to withdraw Bitcoins from Coinbase lately or d- done anything like that, but sometimes you'll get asked, uh, what is the nature of this transaction? And we're sending a report on you to the government. You have to tell us what you're using these for and how you got these Bitcoins in the first place. Right. Now we have to be smart consumers and get away from you know any entity that does this, that does similar things that the government does to us is that what's the point? Yeah, I agree with that. Even if it's a convenient service, you know, there's there could be a trade-off with your personal liberty that you may not be willing to make. Chase Bank has apparently like banned cash deposits into accounts that are not yours. They're going to look at your ID because people selling on local Bitcoins have been accepting cash deposits into their accounts and they don't like that. And of course, Chase is one of the most notoriously famous banks for denying uh, bank accounts to people who work in certain industries, adult industry or whatever, you know, under this Operation Chokepoint thing. And now you live in Canada, but I'm sure you experience a lot of this stuff firsthand. Canada was the first country to officially declare the taxation of Bitcoin. So, yay. I mean, <laughs> right in a sarcastic sense. Right. People, like, people really, this is our opportunity to actually make choices. And it's really sad because people would rather be guilty than responsible, okay? They'd rather have the government declare their guilt and then they're absolved of all responsibility for themselves. Guess what? That age is dying and you have to take responsibility for everything you consume and everything you subscribe to. Like I said, everything is political. And if you're going to claim neutrality, but still participate in the real world, you're a hypocrite. Just to go back to something that you were referencing before about Ross's case, there are some really disturbing implications in the case and in the briefs for just general freedom, regardless of what you think about Ross or about the the Silk Road, which he is alleged to have operated. There's some stuff in there about all property being considered money now. So because Bitcoin is a virtual type of property for tax purposes in the U.S., that's what they claim anyway. It's a medium of exchange, right? That's what they've... It is. Well, it it is a medium of exchange, but it's classified as a type of property. So it's treated as barter. So essentially, what's in this case would make all types of property elements of money laundering or implements of money laundering, potentially. Even trade and barter. So everything's taxable. Everything. Yeah. Which is, you know, insane. And that ties ties into the bit license stuff again. But the most important thing about the um, Ross Albert case is, I think, the liability charge. Because it does, like, transferred intent. So, basically, if he loses, then they're going to push forward a law that makes everybody liable for everything. So, your internet host will be liable for your action, on the, online because they're providing you with internet. So that's what's that going to do? That's going to make Bell say, oh, well, we don't want to be held liable for anything. So we're going to monitor you and we're going to yeah. screen you and we're going to block certain websites. And that's an, a huge inv- invasion of privacy. See the chain? So <laughs> that's the most terrifying thing. And then with privacy, they can see what they can tax because they know everything that you're doing. Yeah, I I think that's an issue with Bitcoin, you know, just the idea that privacy is not really built into the protocol at a fundamental level. You could say that it sort of is because the addresses are pseudonymous, but there are real issues with traceability of Bitcoin and financial privacy, which is important for many different reasons. You know, what if you, for instance, have a 
an abusive ex-spouse and you don't want them to see what you're doing with your money? What if you don't want your employer to know that you're buying certain types of birth control or something like that? I mean, the list goes on and on of reasons that you would want financial privacy, but really you don't need a reason at all. It's basically a fundamental human freedom thing that you should be able to use the fruits of your labor in the way that you choose and have the ability to keep that information private if that's what you want to do. Well, I think on a person-to-person level, it is pretty anonymous because you can just switch up your addresses and it would take a lot of police work to try and link your identity to your address if it's just person-person level. But if a government agency is trying to track you down, they will, right? So I think that's where the pseudo-anonymity comes from because if I'm getting abused by my husband, I can just switch up my address and how will he know that that's linked to me and my, I can get a different wallet somewhere. So I think it's great that way. But yeah, like you said, it's not built into the protocol and you can trace people. You can link them to their addresses. Yeah, And you have to know, you have to be really conscious as a Bitcoin user to really keep it private. Like it's just so easy to kind of taint addresses with clues that reveal who you are, especially when you have these intermediaries like Coinbase and so forth that have records. And and who's the government going to target? They're going to target people accepting a lot of money or sending a lot of money, well, coin. So, I mean, that's very easy to trace. I said, I was thinking the other day, maybe at its early stages, this transparency of Bitcoin is a good thing because it forces people to be brave, right? I mean, I, I would like the option and I think the option is being worked on like with zero cash. Peter Todd is helping out with that and uh, dark wallet and even that's not perfect. But there are these steps, you know, there are these steps and it's exponential progress in this technology because it's such an early technology. We're seeing projects every month sprout up, right? So I'm not too worried about the anonymity side. I think it will happen, but I'm kind of wondering Is it a good thing that it's transparent right now because it forces people to be brave? Now, if people are cowards and they don't step up and say we want our financial sovereignty, then that'll backfire. But another good thing about transparency, if Bitcoin is adopted and things like the banking institutions start using it, then we'll know if the banking institutions are doing fraud or committing laundering or supporting offshore cartels and buying drugs or shipping uh, guns into the country. And well, if politicians are using Bitcoin, that's the transparency that's wonderful about it. And right now, all of these entities can use more secretive means. But with Bitcoin, it'll be transparent. So if anybody should be using Bitcoin, it should be governments and banks. (laughs) (laughs) So do you think it's possible to be a conscious consumer, essentially, and be mindful of your financial privacy as Bitcoin becomes more, quote, mainstream, right? Because it's experiencing a lot of growth right now. And we're starting to see these services crop up like Circle, for instance, that's supposed to bring Bitcoin mainstream, but with a lot of sacrifice in terms of the privacy and anonymity potential that Bitcoin has. Do you think it's going to be possible as time goes forward to keep a semblance of your privacy with Bitcoin? Well, the beautiful thing about markets is that they're competitive. So Circle can do whatever the hell they want. But as long as there's somebody else out there that's working towards privacy, and there are, I'm going to subscribe to them and I'm going to You know, if I ever have enough money, I'll support a project like that and I'll promote projects like that. And that's what's so great about this community. 
it's almost like symbiotic in nature. We kind of fund each other. And there are outside big boy funding. And some of them, they were surprised to me that people that have funded certain projects, because you assume everyone has this kind of sinister idea of this businessman, blah, blah, blah. But these people have been around the block and they have experienced regulation firsthand. And believe me, most businessmen, especially in this sphere, especially in the Bitcoin space and the techie space, they're not for regulation, which means they're not for big government, which means they're for free markets. And that ties nicely into the libertarian anarchistic philosophies. So I was pleasantly surprised last time I spoke to a few of these people who I assumed to be people who wanted regulation and people who, you know, the people outside of the forest. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I know there are some for sure. But sometimes what I see is people that I'm kind of surprised about speaking out almost in favor of regulation. Like I read on Let's Talk Bitcoin a little while ago, Eric Voorhees's piece where he wrote in response to this New York State Bitcoin license thing, the bit license. He called people out by name, basically, Bitcoin business owners who were basically supporting this disgusting piece of legislation. And he was like, dudes, come on, I can get it if you're scared. If you're scared to speak out against this because you're afraid to be targeted, that's one thing. But you don't have to come out and openly support it. That's just going way too far. And it's not going to protect you. I mean, just look at the case of Charlie Shrem and what happened to him. He was actually working with Ben Lasky. Yeah. Yeah, Ben Lasky, the person who wrote this bit license proposal. And Charlie thought, yo, you know, I can work within the system and kind of make these regulations work for me and I'll educate him about Bitcoin. And where did that get him? How can people not learn from his mistake? Well, I think it's not being said. And that's why I'd like to say it. Working within the system, the political system, It's really not possible to make any type of meaningful change, which is why I think it's really important just to go completely outside it and sort of take this Skype approach where in the early days of Skype, which we're actually using to do this interview, you can say what you want about Skype now. It's certainly gone in in an anti-freedom direction with all the spying. But in the early days... You know, Skype was basically a direct competitor to these telecom companies that were outdated dinosaurs. And the government wanted to regulate them as though they were a phone company. And that would have meant all these extra things that they would have had to do. And they basically couldn't have continued to operate and offer their service for free to people to make have them make calls around the world over the Internet. And what they did was take the approach of, look, we're not a phone company. We're something completely new and different. The the original founder of Skype was saying, look, Bitcoin people, listen to me. <laughs> Learn from history here. Don't say, oh, yes, we're a bank. Regulate us as though we are a bank or a existing financial institution. You should be trying to find ways around these laws and finding the loopholes and the ways that make it so that you're not classified as these existing institutions because Bitcoin just doesn't fit in with that. It's not that. Let's let's make something clear. Bitcoin, well, the technology, the blockchain technology, the blockchain is a protocol. Protocol is language. Language is speech. And speech is supposed to be free in America. And what's the internet? Supposed to be. It's a protocol. And what is it used for? Information and communication. Speech. So putting any bans or regulations on the internet or the extension of the internet with blockchain is in direct violation of free speech. It's that simple. (laughs) That's it. These people who are pandering to the state, 
I'm sorry, Theris, because they're going to be the first ones screwed, because everyone else is going to go and do things in a new and imaginative way. So, I'm sorry. I wish they would just realize it and put up a fight. <laughs> I think there's probably a lot of fear involved. If you run a Bitcoin business and the state is looming over you, trying to regulate you, claiming that you're going to be charged with all these felonies if you don't comply with whatever they're trying to make you do. It's really scary. And that's it's okay to acknowledge that. But pandering to the state isn't necessarily going to help your case. The state's kind of going to do whatever it's going to do. And you don't have to give your moral support to it. That's the thing. Yeah. As Amir Taki likes to say, don't be a bootlicker. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I take it you totally support the um, new bit license, Julia, huh? <laughs> I support it I'm looking forward to seeing the I think it's already begun but the stream uh, the waterfall of companies moving out of New York that's what they should do I think every single startup and existing Bitcoin business needs to move out of New York and then they'll be left with what they had before and bye bye Stone Age for you. And frankly, I don't know why there are still Bitcoin companies in the US. I mean, a lot of them have chosen the strategy of just <laughs> leave the US or never incorporate there in the first place. Yeah. And you know what's going to happen? Okay. This is what's going to happen. Did you read that letter to the Department of Financial Services that everybody signed, like including Voorhees and Andreessen and Allaire, of course? And I understand what they're trying to do. It's basically trying to buy more time for these regulations. Extending the comment period, right? Yeah, to change them. But, okay, I understand you guys are trying to buy more time, but this is pandering. And what's going to happen is they're going to look at it and they're going to meet you one third of the way and give you a little bit of leeway and they're going to give in on a few things. And then, you know, the community is going to go... Thank you, guys. I Oh, man, Lossky is so, you know, he's so forthcoming and he's not so bad. And the regulation is fine. And, you know, they uh, allow our, our opinion. This was a democratic process. And then we're going to, like, feel like we won. And it's going to be such a facade and it's going to be complete crap. And it's just going to be validating our <laughs> serfdom. <laughs> that is, of course, always how it works in the political process. There's always co compromises made and dirty backroom deals. Well, we gave you what you asked for, so it's a democratic process now. Yeah, I didn't ask for that. <laughs> and neither did anyone else, really. <laughs> right. It's like if someone's, you know, punching your face, and then they punch it a little lighter. <laughs> and then you say, oh, thank you. Aren't they nice? <laughs> Also, you know, once this happens, I still think the smart businesses are going to leave and then they're going to also deny service to anybody that lives in New York so that they won't be held liable. And then everyone yeah. in New York who's smart is going to put up a big stink about it because they're not going to be able to access, they're going to not be able to access these resources and this technology and the services that are offered via the blockchain because no one wants to be held liable. Or maybe they'll just move out of New York or they'll get a VPN or something. So, okay, one more question, Julia. This is a little bit of an abstract question, but I think it's important because there are going to be a lot of people who are listening to Let's Talk Bitcoin who really are not familiar with maybe the word anarchism, and they might hear it and feel really uncomfortable. You know, like, what does that mean? Is that like 
bomb throwing black balaclava wearing <laughs> European people. But no, it's it's actually not. And tell me what anarchism means to you. Anarchism means that you don't subscribe to the idea that somebody owns any part of you. I think people are autonomous beings and they govern themselves just fine. And if you think that a collection of human beings is allowed to govern a large collection of human beings, I don't know what's more hypocritical than that. It doesn't make any sense logically or philosophically. I really don't need somebody to tell me what to do. I really don't. So do what you like, but leave me out of it. Yeah, yeah, that's a cool explanation. If somebody comes up to you and steals your wallet and runs away, that's not okay. We would call that theft. If a gang of people comes up to you and steals your wallet, that's still theft, right? But if a gang of people who are calling themselves government and saying they're doing it for your own good take money from you every year by force, is that not theft in the same sense that the robber is also committing theft? And it is. It's just that we don't think of it that way because we've been conditioned to think that government is necessary and good and that they're all doing it for our own uh, benefit. But Stephanie, that that gang was elected by you, by your consent, whether you voted or not, and whether you wanted the choice of those two officials you elected them, therefore you consented, right? Well, do I have the opportunity to opt out of that is the question. And, and no, I don't. Every valid contract, every agreement that's, that's legitimate has an opportunity for exit. And with government, there is no opting out. Uh, I suppose you could move somewhere else, but then you're basically just opting into another government, which has its, its own set of problems. And, you know, there are people who use that strategy, right? They, they're born in a place that's kind of fascist or tyrannical, or they just don't like it. And so they leave and go somewhere else. You know, aside from going and living on Mars, <laughs> Julia, I don't know if there's many places on Earth you can go where you can really, really be free and just totally opt out. <laughs> Well, that's the beauty of the blockchain. It creates opportunity for decentralization and choice and diversification. And soon we'll be able to do a lot of things very efficiently without any kind of authoritarian system. That's the most exciting thing to me. Cool. Well, I think we ought to leave it off there. Thank you so much for joining me today, Julia. It's always a real pleasure to talk to you. You are just so cool. And I really like enjoy having your perspective on Let's Talk Bitcoin. Thank you so much. And I hope your listeners put up with me long enough for me to plug my website. <laughs> oh, for sure. Yeah. Tell us where we can find you online. Bravetheworld.com. Brave the World channel on YouTube. I'm on Facebook, but best reach me on Twitter. Harass me, please, at Brave the World. <laughs> cool. All right, Julia Toriansky, thank you so much. And the, the Bitcoin Declaration of Independence video, we will uh, link to in the show notes for this episode. Awesome. Enjoy it. I hope everyone likes it as much as, well, I had fun doing it. <laughs> are, the, are the bloopers in there? Yeah, the bloopers will uh, be on the same page on my website. And it will be like one, it will be sequential on my YouTube channel. So you can link to it as well separately. Cool. The bloopers are worth checking out too. <laughs> Especially yours. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to this episode of Let's Talk Bitcoin. 
content for today's episode was provided by Stephanie, Julia, Adam, and Alex. This episode was edited by Denise Levine and Adam Levine, and music was provided by Jared Rubens and General Fuzz. See you next time. <laughs>